The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Caleb. What a story. Thank God for people like David who share their faith. Well, good morning, Story City. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Happy New Year. Hey, um... Uh, if, if I were honest this morning, most of you, I would say nine out of ten of you this morning, are probably a better fisherman than I am. You're like, I've never been fishing before in my life, Pastor Matt. That's okay. It's still true. Uh, I'm just not a good fisherman. Um, I, I don't fish often. I don't know the in and outs, the basics of fishing. I just I don't know it well. So this past August, uh, I went to Alaska with three of my closest friends in the world, three pastor friends of mine. And um, we went for a couple of reasons. We went to rest. We went to relax, renew. And then we went to go salmon fishing. Uh, I've never been salmon fishing before. Have you ever done something for the first time uh, with people who are expert level and you're like, oh my gosh, I am extremely nervous. And so my buddies, they, they look like they just stepped out of REI, man. They're like, like a cover of an REI magazine. They, they look the look. They talk the talk. They've been salmon fishing for years. And here I'm showing up. I'm like, man, I, my nine-year-old's got as much experience as I do, right? And so I, I'm in a pickle. And I, I either have to fake it till I make it, right, or just humble myself and be like, you know what, uh, guys, I don't know what I'm doing here, so I'm just along for the ride. And uh, if you know me, uh, there are times when pride is overwhelming in my life. And so I decided I'm going to fake it till I make it. And it went fine. It was awesome. And then day two happened, and uh, we get on the water at 4.30 a.m. By 7.30 a.m., all the guys had, had caught their limit of fish, and here I am. I had not caught a single fish, all right? I had fish bite my line. I had fish on the line. And so I would have a fish that would get on the line. They would take the bait, and then when I would try to pull him in, the fish would go away. So the first time it happens, they're like, oh, no big deal. That happens sometimes. You know, you tr maybe you try to. And so no big deal. Second time it happens, the guide is like, you know what? Just gently trying to show. Maybe if you put the pole on and do like that, it'll, it'll be. By the seventh time, like the seventh fish that gets off my line, the guide is ticked. I kid you not. Like I think I heard under his breath, he said, this guy is a moron. And I'm like, yes, I'm a moron. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. My buddies are in the back of the boat. Literally, they're all three standing in the back of the boat with their arms crossed. This is like a two-hour deal. They had already caught their fish. It's 1030. I've not caught a single. They're in the back of the boat with their arms crossed. And they're like laughing at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am such a moron. I have no, I, I was so nervous. I, I, I imagine if most of us are probably pretty honest, we probably uh, have the same nervousness, the sort of same level of experience that I had when it comes to sharing our faith. And um, for most of us, the idea of sharing our faith, even if we've been in church for a long time, we've been, we've been around Jesus for a long time, probably to most Christians, the idea of sharing our faith is the most foreign part of our faith. I would imagine most of us are not good fishers of men and women because we probably don't experience it very often. 
Today, we start a brand new series we're calling Mission 555. It's the brand new year. We're launching into a, a new year, our third year of ministry. And, um, and, and I know as we talk about launching into a new series, helping you live intentionally and helping you share your faith, some of you are probably like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I came to church today. I'm definitely not coming back next week. But if I can do one thing, if I can just ask you to suspend your thoughts, suspend your emotions, for just a few minutes, and let me answer this question. Why, why would we even spend uh, an entire series teaching you how to share your faith, how to live intentionally? Someone said to me recently, Pastor, um, I feel like uh, you spend a lot of time focusing on first-time guests. And uh, when they said it, I was in a, in a team environment, and so I couldn't respond like I wanted to respond. And when they said it, my blood pressure, like I could feel it. Like I got nervous. I'm like, I got hot. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I can't believe you should. I? And I, I, was, I was mad. Like, and I experienced all these emotions. And um, I'm typically a person who can hear something and go to bed at night and not let it affect me. But it affected me. For multiple days, it affected me, and I experienced all the emotions. I was angry, I was sad, I was disappointed, and then it moved to being determined and focused to say, you know what, I want to lead our church to care about people who don't know Jesus. I think one of the most unloving things an individual Christian can do, one of the most unloving things a church can do is to step back take inventory of ourselves, look around and make this evaluation that, you know what, well, there's a lot of people coming. We're doing pretty good. Let's just take a step back and let's just focus on ourselves. I think one of the most unloving things you as a Christian and I as a Christian can do is to withhold the very thing that can change a person's life. When I walked out into the lobby after the first service, I saw Caleb who did this video, and my first thought was, I am so grateful that David did not withhold the very thing that changed his life. A couple months ago, I was filling out this form for a church planning organization, and the question was, what are you doing to train your church how to share their faith? It, it was a convicting question to me. We turned three years old next month. And we've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've baptized people. Our church has grown. And all those things are great. But I couldn't answer the question. I couldn't answer the question. I couldn't say this is what we do because we've never done it. And it was convicting to me. And I want to say to you as your pastor this morning, I take the blame for that. I apologize for that. It's my fault that we've never intentionally created an environment to help you live intentionally. That's my fault. So as we turn three years old next month, sort of what we want to do through the course of this series is sort of recast the reason we exist. Now listen to me very closely. We exist not for maintenance. We exist for mission. We exist for mission, to be a part of the mission that God set forth in Matthew chapter 28. So now let me help settle our 
fears and our thoughts and our emotions as we talk about sharing our faith. And by the way, you may be here this morning. You're like, well, I'm just checking church out. I don't really go to church. I may not even have a faith of my own. I want to say I'm glad you're here this morning because you're going to step in on a little family conversation where we're sort of re-energizing the mission of Story City Church. Now, let me tell you what I hope to accomplish. I've got a long introduction. It's not usual in my sermons, but I've got a, I've got a little bit of ground to cover before we get into Luke chapter 5 today. Here's a couple things that I hope we can accomplish in this series. Number one, we want to give you a plan. A plan for what? A plan to live intentionally. I believe most people don't live intentionally to share their faith because one, either they're afraid or two, they just don't know what to do. We're going to practically over the next few weeks teach you, not add anything to your schedule, not add anything to your life, teach you how to live intentionally. Number two, we hope to accomplish, we want to release the fear of living on mission. Don't you agree? Like even the thought of bringing, like there was some, I'm gonna be honest with you, the, as your pastor, there's some trepidation in even bringing a series to the table where we teach people to share their faith. Because I know what you're thinking. How long has this dude lived in LA? Does he not know what people in LA think? They don't want Jesus. They don't want God. Does he not know how people think in our city? We want to release some of the fear of living intentionally. Most of us want to live safe. We want to live appreciated. We want to live without impeding our lives. And I would imagine that most of us have some sort of fear when we talk about living intentionally in the lives of other people. And we have this idea that if I live on mission, some of those things are going to be affected. We want to release some of that fear over the course of this series. Number three, we hope to kindle a passion for those who don't know Jesus. We hope to kindle a passion for those who don't know Jesus. Thank God that David had a passion for those who didn't know Jesus. In my life, as a 17-year-old high school student, there was this old, crusty youth pastor named Jim Parnell. I love him with all of my heart. You know why? Because he cared that I didn't know Jesus. And he invited me to a weekend where the gospel was preached. My life was changed. Number four, one of the things we hope to accomplish is we want to encourage you to stop wasting time. What do you mean by that, Pastor Matt? Well, I would imagine most of us think of our lives in, uh, as being a season of transition. Whether you're young or whether you're old, most of us think of our lives as being in a season of transition. If you're young, you're probably thinking about the next season. You're waiting for your big break. You're waiting for the step up. If you're old, you're like, what is the next season of life? Most of us are probably thinking of our lives in terms of seasons. And what we want to say to you is whatever season you're in, waiting time is not wasting time. Don't miss the opportunity that we have now in front of us. And so we have this opportunity in our city to live intentionally with God. We want to focus on what does it look like to reach our neighbors. If you're new here again, this is a special time. Sort of recasting, re-energizing our mission. And let me just put it before you very plainly. What we're leaning into in this series. Again, this is a long introduction, but you got to bear with me. What we're really leaning into in this series is how to live your existing life intentionally. In other words, we're not asking you to come out on Monday night and do some sort of special project. We're not asking you to add anything to your routine. We're saying you have a life, you have a rhythm, you do things, and in those things that you do, we want to encourage you to think, how can I live that life intentionally so that other people can know the Jesus that I know? And so how do we do that? Well, typically, uh, historically, there have been two basic forms of evangelism. 
in our culture, and particularly our country. One of those is mass evangelism. Think Billy Graham. We've got a guy in our church who worked for Billy Graham for years and years and years. We're not discounting that. In fact, there's a guy here in Southern California who has this crusade ministry. People come to faith in Christ through it. But the reality is it's not practical for everyday living. Number two, um, one of the other historical forms of evangelism is this idea of going door to door. That'll get you killed in L.A., all right? And, uh, and so we're not advocating door-to-door evangelism. In fact, uh, if you go door-to-door sharing the gospel, you're probably going to show up on the next door app. Any of you guys get that? Like, there's a picture, and like, this creep showed up at my door. We're not advocating that either. And then there's probably this other form of evangelism that you think of and that I saw when I went to the Rose Parade just a week or so ago, and there were people where they were marching and holding signs, and I'm just discounting their efforts and intentionality. But what I want to say is we believe, not discounting those methods, we believe in our context, in our culture, there may be a more effective way. We call this network evangelism. Please do not be scared by this idea, this word evangelism. And by the way, we believe this concept of network evangelism. It's rooted in historic precedent. I've quoted this guy for you before. His name is Rodney Stark. He wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. We don't believe he's a Christian, but he wrote this book trying to explore and understand how is it that Christianity overtook the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago? How is it that Christianity exploded? And this is what he said. Social networks are the basic mechanism through which conversion takes place. Most conversions are not produced by professional missionaries conveying a new message, but by rank-and-file members who share their faith with their friends and their relatives. The principle that conversions spread through social networks is quite consistent with the fact that the earliest followers of Jesus shared many family ties and long-standing associations. Although the very first Christian converts in the West, where we are, may have been by full-time missionaries, the conversion process soon became self-sustaining as new converts accepted the obligation to spread their faith and did so by missionizing their immediate circle of intimates. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City for years and years and years. He had an incredible ministry of reaching people in their 20s and 30s. Just a phenomenal ministry. And this is what he said. There must be an atmosphere of expectation that every member will always have two to four people in the incubator, a force field in which people are being prayed for, given literature. Now, don't freak out about that, especially if you're thinking tracks. Don't freak out. We're going to get there in just a moment. Brought to church or other events. So this series that we're introducing to you this morning that we're going to be walking through over the next few weeks is called Mission 555. It's very simple. The concept is so simple, and it's not adding anything else to your life, but there are three elements to this concept. The first element of the five is five people. Think about five people in these five networks I'm about to uh, uh, share with you. Five people in five networks with five opportunities to invest in their life. Now, let me give you these five networks that we want to encourage you to think about as you live intentionally. Number one, family network. That's the family you have. I don't have any family in L.A. I have no family in L.A., so this network for me, I, don't, I can't identify five people in my city. Now, I have people in other parts of the country, but I don't have five people in this city that I can identify and pray for and invite and serve. 
The second network is a vocational network. That's people you work with. I'm a pastor. I lead a staff of people who work at a church. I hope everybody I work with is a Christian, so I don't have people in that network either. And you're like, I don't have people in this network or that one. If you don't have people in that network, then think about more people in another network. The third one is the commercial network. That's businesses you frequent. And I immediately, when I think of this commercial network, businesses you frequent, I think of Simply Coffee, where I go at least multiple times a week. Geographical network, that's neighbors that you live around. For me, this is, this is huge. This is one of my most important ones. And then finally, a fifth network is what we call a relational network. Maybe not that fits in any one of those other four categories. For us, it would be uh, the teams that our kids play on, the activities that our kids are involved in, the school where our kids go. There are lots of people that we have the opportunity to invest in. Now, there are five networks, five opportunities. Again, I'm laying all this out, and then we're going to spend some time over the next few weeks. Five opportunities that we would ask you to pray over and consider to live intentionally. Again, not adding anything to your life. Number one, pray for them. You say, Pastor Matt, I can't get to number five. When you talk about sharing your faith, I can never get there. Well, you can pray for somebody. You can get to the place where you begin to have a burden for people. You develop a burden. It's probably because you prayed for them. Number two, serve them. This series is going to be so practical because here in two weeks, we're literally going to make a financial investment in your life. We're going to hand you a gift card to a very specific place and say, if you are serious about serving your friends, your family, your networks, we're going to make a financial investment in your life to help you do so. Number three, Invite them. We have inviter cards. We're going to renew those this week and have a whole stack of them out there next week. Number four, give gospel-centered literature. Now, you've been around church a while. You're like, is he talking about tracks? You've never been around church. You're like, what's he talking about? Don't worry about it. Listen, we're not talking about handing out tracks. If you give out tracks, great. We're not downplaying that. But what we mean is, like, I give out a book all the time called The Meaning of Marriage. People are struggling in their marriage. I think this book called The Meaning of Marriage is an incredible book. There's another book that we're going to give out. It's called um, Every Good Endeavor. It's talking about your job and your work. We've got four books we're going to make available to you. They're just a couple bucks a piece. We bear most of the financial burden for those. We'll also have a Bible that's free that you can give away. And then number five, the fifth opportunity is actually to speak the gospel to them. Now, on the last week of the series, we're going to talk about speaking the gospel. We're going to take a week off February the 10th whenever we uh, celebrate three years as a church. And, uh, but on the fifth week, when we talk about speaking the gospel, I'm going to introduce you guys to Marco. Marco is our new pastoral intern that gets here this week. Marco is a big dude. He loves working out. And, um, and he, he uses working out as an opportunity to invest into the lives of people. And you're going to hear him tell stories about people that he's prayed for, people he's led to faith in Jesus, that he spent time working out side. Again, we want to release the fear of living on mission. Now, when you come next week, we're going to have a card. It'll say five networks, five opportunities, five people, just to give you an opportunity to continue to think in this way. That's the 555 plan. Five networks, five people, five opportunities. Now, here's what I want to do. We don't have a ton of time left, but that was a long introduction. It's not normally like that. But I want to spend the rest of our time in the book of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I want to walk through this passage together. These few verses is not going to take us long. And in this passage, I believe it's going to show us how people come to faith in Christ. And how God uses people in that process. Look, I can tell. When I, I can't really see you well. Sometimes you're like, were you looking at me the whole time? No, because I really can't see you. But I can tell the sermons that I preach that people are like, 
glazed look. Like, I'm not even, look, I realize for some of you guys this morning, you're like, this guy's completely bananas. I want to ask you, just give me the benefit of the doubt. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, how people come to faith in Christ, how God uses people in that process, starting in verse 1. Luke, the Dr. Luke, writes this and he says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. People are, 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 there are huge crowds that Jesus is experiencing who are following him and they want to listen to what he says. They were listening to the word of God, verse 2, and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. In other words, they'd just been fishing all night. They were at the end of their, of their, uh, their workday. They were going to go home and have breakfast, uh, take a nap, and get up and do it all over again. And Jesus seized their boats. He seized them washing their nets, verse 3, and he got into one of the boats, and the one that was belonging to Simon, who we also know as Peter, and he asked him to put it out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, what we know is before Peter, James, and John began to follow Jesus, these men were professional fishermen. This wasn't their hobby. This wasn't what they did on the weekend. This is what they did for a living. And so Jesus sees them, asked to use their boat because he needed a platform in order to speak to all the people crowding in. And he says, can you put the boat out just for a little bit? I need to teach these people. And what we see is as Jesus is teaching the words, he's teaching the words of God, we understand that Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, we see throughout the entire New Testament, there was a high priority on teaching and preaching. In fact, Acts chapter 8, verse 4 says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. One commentator says there are 33 verbs throughout the New Testament that describe this idea of preaching and teaching and proclaiming and sharing the gospel. Can I say to you this morning, and there's a reason, and you'll get to it. We have a primary focus on the Bible. We've got a primary focus on the Word of God here at Story City and teaching it. Why? Because it is the loudest voice for our church. If the Bible is not the loudest voice for our church, can I tell you, I would not be in a series on teaching you how to share your faith. I would just skip right over it and go to the grace and the love and the mercy part, and we're all good and you're all good, and I would just go to those parts. I would never teach you a series on sharing your faith. But because the Bible is the loudest voice in our church, I am compelled, I have no option but to teach you the whole counsel of God, specifically the great commission of God. Now the Bible will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that those who are not in the church, those who are on the outside, will look at our emphasis on the Bible, and literally 1 Corinthians 1, 18 tells us, they will say, that is foolish. However, I want to say to you at Story City Church, we've got a primary emphasis on teaching and preaching the word of God. That's going to be instructive for us here in just a moment. Verse 4 and 5, when he had finished speaking, meaning Jesus, he looked at Simon and he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the, cat, the, and let down the nets for a catch. The message titled this morning is let down the nets. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
If you've ever been fishing, if you've ever worked in a commercial fishing environment or know people who do, you understand that this is a laborious work. It's not a desk job. It's not an easy job. It's physically demanding. It requires skills and abilities and an understanding to perform the task. And here we have this carpenter named Jesus who does not have fishing skills and ability. He approaches the Petros Fishing Company of the Sea of Galilee who've been doing it their entire life and they know what they're doing. And this carpenter, without experience looks at these people who have experience and makes an outrageous request. I know it's the end of your day. I know you never go fishing this time of day. I know you know the water temperature this time of day is not conducive to fishing. I know you know the fish are not going to bite, but I've got a request. Let's put the boat out and let's do a little more fishing. It seemed very unorthodox. When I'm on the Kenai River in Alaska with literally the best guide on the river, it would, be, it would be unorthodox, it would be moronic for me to look at him and say, you know what, I know you've been doing this your whole life, I think we need to go around the bend. I think we need to go around the bend, and that's where all the fish are. Professional fishermen know how to catch fish. What's the point? Jesus here is showing the disciples the power that they need to catch people. Verses one through seven, it's all about catching fish. We get to verse eight through 11, it's all about catching people. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's laying the tracks to say, in order to catch people, in order to live intentionally, it's not about your human wisdom. It's not about your ingenuity. Listen, it's about power. He's going to show them the power is mine. And so Simon Peter says in verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've been doing this for a long time. You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we, we haven't caught anything tonight. It's been a bad night. But if you say so, we'll let down the nets. Peter is sort of kindly saying to Jesus, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Uh, I, I know what I'm doing here. Listen, doesn't that sort of describe American Christianity? Jesus, listen to me. Look, look, I don't mean to be disrespectful, Jesus. I know you're the Lord of everything. I know you know every thought, every hair on my head. I know you know what my neighbor's doing right now. I know what you know I, I did last week. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Jesus, but I sort of know these people. I know these people I work with. I know my neighbors. I know the guy at Simply Coffee. I know the parents on my, Jesus, I sort of know these people. And here's what I know. They don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. They don't want God. They don't want to talk about a man who died on a cross. They don't want anything to do with religion. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Jesus, but I sort of know these people. <laughs> and on the one hand, Peter is reluctant. I don't mean to be disrespectful, Jesus. But listen, on the other hand, Peter lets down the nets. On the other hand, Peter obeys. I'm skeptical, Jesus, but okay. After the first service, a guy came up to me, a guy that I love and respect. Uh, he admittedly is a guy who's very, very introverted. And he opened up to Luke chapter 5, and he had something he wrote down years ago. And it said, but I will obey. You're listening to me right now, and some of you are regretting coming to church. <laughs> the pastor wants me to talk 
about Jesus? Has he not lived in L.A. long enough to know how we think? People don't want religion. They don't want Jesus. Yet he's telling me I should live intentionally and share the gospel. Yes. Nevertheless, will you obey the great commission? Do you know there's never a good time to do evangelism, by the way? There's never a good time. You're like, well, I'm just waiting. I mean, I'm, I've been serving my neighbor. I've been doing all these good things. I'm waiting. He's going to come out. He's going to hey, I, I see you leaving every you go. Is it church that you go to? I've been having a problem. Can you help me? Uh, this is never going to happen. If you're waiting on the right time, it's never going to happen. If you're waiting on a good day, it's never going to happen. What we need to say is, at your word, God, at your Jesus didn't ask. He told them to do it. This is a demanding request that Jesus has. Now listen to verse 6 and 7. When they had done so, they caught, catch this word. If you got something to write with in your Bible, you can underline it. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish. <laughs> that their nets began to break. Verse 7, so they signaled their partners in the other boat, come, help us. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. The nets are breaking, the boats are sinking. This is an astonishing catch. We've never seen this before on this sea. What's the point? The point is this passage tells us how evangelism works. Evangelism is effective when the power of God and the obedience of humanity are in sync with one another. When the power of God is in cooperation with our obedience and they are unified, that's how evangelism is effective. Look, Jesus could have said, Jesus could have said, hey, fish, get in the boat. Jesus, uh, salmon, jump out of the river into the boat. We got to eat. Jump into the boat. But Jesus didn't say that. Later on in this passage in verse 10, Jesus is going to look Peter in the eyes and he's going to give him a vision for his life. And he's going to say, what you've just done, you're going to do this for the rest of your life. But you're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for people. It's a vision for his life. So verses 1 through 7 here, this is a symbolic narrative. It's symbolic of how evangelism works. It's not human strategy. It's not your eloquent speech. It's not your, your effective strategy. Listen, evangelism is human beings participating with God to bring people into the kingdom of God. Let me be clear. God doesn't need us. You're like, I'll go with that. He don't have to use me. I'm fine. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us, but listen to me. He could have told the fish to get into the boat, but instead he invites humanity into the process of experiencing the joy of seeing other people's lives changed by the gospel. You just need to trust me if you've never experienced this. When you see somebody you've cared about, you've prayed about, you've invested into their life, when you see their life changed by the gospel. You don't know this, but the song they sang this morning was about them, about their life and their story and how God is changing their life. 
when you see the work of God in people's life, I'm telling you, there is no greater joy in the Christian life. And God invites us into that joy to see people's lives changed by the gospel. And when Peter saw it, when Peter caught this vision for what his life would be, you know what he did? He joyfully followed Jesus into his mission. He wants the same for you. He wants you to have a life that matters, bringing people into the kingdom of God. I cannot help but think as I preach this series, Miss June, every single week, bringing people into the kingdom. Is there any greater joy in your life than sharing the gospel, Miss June? Never. So Dr. Luke here writes the book of Luke, and he uses this word that means, it literally means a large number. In fact, if you've got another version of the Bible, it will say multitudes of fish. Dr. Luke also wrote another book in the New Testament. After Jesus came and his ministry was initiated, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose the third day, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. The sequel to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, was a book called the Book of Acts. Luke, who wrote the Book of Luke, writes the sequel to what happened here, and he writes the sequel, and he uses the same exact word. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Now listen to me. We have this picture of these overflowing nets of abundance in Luke chapter 5. They are symbolic of the large number of people who will have their lives transformed by the gospel, both in Acts 2,000 years ago and in Story City in our city in 2019. How did it happen? How did it come about? It happened because the power of the word of God and the obedience of those who call themselves Christians synced up together and God did his work. Let me, let me just share with you. Let me just show you how the gospel was advancing in the book of Acts and why a series on how to share your faith is important. Let me show you why this series is important. Because Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Because Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because Acts chapter 4, verse 20 says, we can't stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Because Acts chapter 5, verse 14 says, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Because Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, because Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, because Acts chapter 6, verse 7 also says, a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith, because Acts chapter 8, verse 7 says, many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed, because Acts chapter 8, verse 25 says, they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans, because Acts chapter 8, verse 40 says, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, because Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says, 
says, the church throughout all Judea and all Samaria and all of Galilee continued to increase because Acts chapter 9, verse 35 says, all who lived at Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord because Acts chapter 9, verse 43 says, it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord because Acts chapter 11, verse 21 says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord because Acts 11, 24 says, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord because Acts 12, 24 says the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied because Acts 13, 44 says nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord because Acts 13, 49 says the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region because Acts 14, 21 says they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples because Acts 16, 5 says the churches were increasing in number daily because Acts 17, 4 says a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women were persuaded because Acts 19.10 says, all who live in Asia heard the word of the Lord because Acts 19.20 says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily because Acts 21.20 says, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed because Acts chapter 10 verse 42 says, he ordered us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge over the living and the dead. Can't you see how Luke chapter 5 is symbolic of what Peter and the disciples and the early Christians and the Christians at Story City in 2019, can't you see how it was symbolic of what their lives and our lives could be like? As a pastor who moved his family four years ago, 2,300 miles away from all that was familiar with the heart and a passion to see people's lives transformed by the good news that Jesus saves, I pray this prayer and I hope you'll pray with me. Lord, do it again. If you're new this morning, you're like, does he always do this? No, I don't. This is, I want you to hear your pastor's heart. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus. Why can't God do it again? Why can't he? This is the result that Jesus, some of you, I can see it on your face. You're like, this is moronic. I'm just telling you. You can sit on the sidelines and allow God to do what he wants to do, and you can just take a peek into it, and I'm just telling you, you're going to miss the joy of participating in the mission of God. Now keep on reading in verse 8. Verse 1 through 7 is about catching fish. Verse 8 through 11, and we're going to close here. This is the aftermath of those who will decide to fish. You say, Pastor Matt, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm going to lean into this, how to live my existing life intentionally. This is what God promises, verse 8 through 11. Listen, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Oh, man. This prostrate position before the Lord. That's where it all begins. He fell prostrate before Jesus on his knees, and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, the Petros fishing company of the Sea of Galilee. They were astonished. And then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. He's speaking to you this morning. Do not be afraid. Be afraid. 
From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. Listen to how this ends. They left everything and followed Jesus. Peter and James and John and the Petros fishing company of the Sea of Galilee, they are in awe of Jesus. There are moments in this auditorium on a Sunday morning. Last weekend was one of them when Tyler was preaching. I sat down here during the worship, and it brought me to tears in awe of what Jesus has done. Peter, James, and John, they've seen the power of God, and they're in awe of Jesus. Listen, they're not cocky. <laughs> they're not proud. They're not boasting over all the fish they caught. They're not like, hey, we're going to pull on the shore. Somebody get the iPhone out. We need, to, we need to pan out so you make sure you get all of these fish. And then I'm going to do this one picture. I'm going to hold the fish out. And I learned this in Alaska. If you hold the fish out, the fish seems way bigger than it really is. Like if you see my pictures on Instagram, it looks like, like a four-foot fish, 100 pounds. It's like, it's like two feet and like one foot and four pounds. Like, like, like they're not like, hey, take a picture. We're going to post this on Instagram with the caption, Book a charter with the Sea of Galilee's number one fishing company. They're not proud. They're not boastful. Why? Because it's not about them. And they know it. Sharing the gospel, living intentionally, seeing people's lives change is never about the accomplishment, never about the growth, never about the multitudes. They didn't catch the fish. You didn't catch the fish. Story City didn't catch the fish. We simply let the nets down and Jesus caught them. Sorry, this is an animated series for me, so if it bothers you, just hold on. There was something else that impressed Peter more than the catch. Something else captured his mind. Something else captured his emotions. Something else captured his will. Something else captured his, his being more than this great catch of fish. And you know what it was? It was the man whose eyes he was looking into. He had met God himself. Can I say to you this morning... The reason many people are not bought into Jesus' mission is because they are not bought into Jesus. The reason many people are not bought into Jesus' mission is because they are not bought into Jesus. If Jesus has so impressed himself upon your heart and your life, you will, if he has never impressed himself upon your life, you will never be impressed by the mission but something is impressing you. Something is impressing you today. What is it? is it? Is it your own mission? Is it your own status, your own notoriety? I'm not preaching down to you and I'm not making you feel guilty, but I'm just telling you, this is the heart of the matter. If Jesus is so impressed upon your heart, the mission will matter. If you have a high view of Jesus and a lower view of yourself, then you'll be on board with Jesus' mission. But if you have a high view of yourself and a low view of Jesus, you will rarely experience the joy of being on mission. When you are moved by the king, you are at the king's request. 
when you are gazing into the glory of God frequently, you're moved by what you encounter. Who takes precedence in your life today? What takes precedence in your life today? It's vital that we have this awareness of our sin, our need for Jesus, and understanding that mercy and grace has come in Jesus and now living out the spirit of his mission. That's what we have at the end of this passage. That's what we have. You're, you're going to be catching people to bring them alive in Jesus. We've got a lot of fishing to do in Los Angeles. I want to close this message out. I want to bring this mission to life, and we're going to close out. At best today, at best today, tomorrow, whenever you go off to work, you freak at the business you go to, at best, eight out of every 10 people you're going to see have never met Jesus. You're like, no, no, no. My, my guy at the coffee shop, he, he talks about God. No, 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 no. You need to understand. No, so people have been around Jesus. People have friends who have met Jesus. People have family members who have met Jesus. People have been in church once or twice. But the difference is they've been around Jesus. They haven't met Jesus. And I need you to hear me this morning, church. That distinction could not be more relevant. Two, in Los Angeles County, there is one evangelical church for every 23,000 people that live in our city. If today just a fraction of people in our city decided, you know what, I'm going to go check out and see what, what this thing is about, and they go to a church near them today, we couldn't even hold just a fraction of the people. Three, if we were to gather everybody who lives in Burbank, there's 110,000 people. Out of those 110,000 people, I'm talking about Burbank. Some of you come from Santa Clarita, West Hollywood, Pasadena. Some of you guys are coming all the way down from Long Beach and Huntington Beach. If, if, I'm just talking about Burbank. 110,000 people. If we were to take everybody in Burbank that goes to church, and I'm not saying going to church is an indication of their faith because there's a lot of people that go to church who have never been saved and they've never met Jesus. But I'm just saying, if we took everybody in Burbank that goes to church, we could put them all in two services in Burbank High School's auditorium and meet every need out of 110,000 people. We've got a lot of fish to catch. We've got a mission ahead of us. And so let me say this to you. Over the next few weeks, we want to release the fear of the mission of God. We're going to be practical. We're going to make an investment into your life if you so choose to be a part of it, how God may use you. But before we get there, let me close this out. And I need to ask a heart level question today. I'm not asking you to make a list of people. I'm not asking you to go through the five networks yet. I, I, we need to begin this series by asking a heart level question. What voice is the loudest in my life? Whose voice is the loudest in my life? My voice or God's voice? Let's end this morning where the disciples ended. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. 
Are you actively following Jesus in his mission of God, in the mission of God in our city? What's your level of desire? No desire, Pastor Matt. I'm just being straight up with you. I got no desire to be a part of this. I, I do have some desire, but I got fears. Pastor Matt, I'm eager. I just need to be equipped. Pastor Matt, I'm not just eager. I'm out there. What, what's your level of desire today? Where are you? Can I ask you to pray something this week? This is the application point for the entire message today. You can take a picture of it, write it down. I'd like to ask you to pray this every single day this week. God, will you make me aware of my heart's desire or lack thereof for participating in your mission of seeing people's lives changed by the gospel? That's all I'm asking of you this week. Ask God, make me aware of my heart's desire or lack thereof for participating in your mission of seeing people's lives changed by the gospel. Next week, next five weeks, we're gonna spend on those five opportunities, praying, inviting, serving, speaking the gospel, giving literature to people. We're gonna spend five weeks on that. Next week, by far, the easiest week of this entire series. You may not... Be ready to speak, you know, be ready to serve, you know, be ready to give, be ready to invite. But all of us, if you know Jesus, can pray. And next week, we want to lead you to do that. I want to encourage you to be here, show up. This is an important series for our church. I want you to be a part of it. Let's pray together. God, we just open our hearts and lay it bare before you this morning. God, although you don't need us to, but there's something about acknowledging who we are and whose voice is the loudest and what our heart's level desire is, God. We just lay it bare before you this morning and acknowledge that most of us, myself included, are days where there are fear and trepidation, Lord. There are days when I enjoy my safety, my appreciation, my acceptance, and the networks that I am around. And God, we lay bare and acknowledge this morning, God, that we have a fear, myself included, that if we began to live intentionally the lives that we already have so that people, people's lives could be changed by you, Jesus, this morning, we acknowledge and lay bare before you. Some of us, myself included on certain days, God, have a fear that that safety, that acceptance, that appreciation will be intruded upon. God, may the loudest voice in our life this week be your voice. Soothe our hearts, our emotions, our will. God, help us to genuinely seek you and ask you, God, where am I? Where am I in this process of living intentionally? God, may we be that church that cares about the stories that don't yet know you. God, if you changed my life, I believe you can change my neighbor's life. I believe you can change my friend's life. I believe you can change my family's life. So God, we place that trust in you. And God, even though some of us are reluctant, myself included, as you will, God, as you will.